All right, we're back with another episode of the Saxo Market Call, and uh, I'm doing the intro today because uh, CERN, which is our host, is calling in remote. So um, I'm, I'm doing the introduction. I'll keep it very briefly, but we're going to talk about, you know, obviously the week ahead, um, earnings, and a little bit of a macro, a lot of focus on central bank rate meetings or rate decisions this week. So uh, CERN, with no further ado, I'll give the word to, to you. Thank you so much, Peter, and thank you for taking charge of the intro since I couldn't uh, be there today. As you said, yeah, let's uh, let's look a little bit about uh, behind what what happened last week uh, in relation to U.S. Uh, key figures uh, and then also earnings, and then let's look a little bit ahead uh, to a very very interesting earnings week. So let's just let's just jump into it. I think, uh, Peter, we had some. Uh, American GDP and PCE uh, data coming out uh, last week. And obviously, in where we are right now, that is some of the stuff that uh, the American Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, is using to judge whether they should uh, hike, uh, not hike interest rates. That's definitely out of the question, but lower them or keep them as they are. Uh, what what were the results and uh, what how has this changed the view uh, for now? Well, <clears throat> I think the... Um the, the numbers came in as more or less expected. It's showing that basically, if you take the the past three or six months data points on the uh, on their preferred measure of inflation, that we we're basically close to target on inflation. And I I was having a conversation with another colleague today, and I, I don't I don't think there is a lot of you know I don't think it's a big surprise actually because we we are on the uh, we are on the other side of that inflation wave we have a year ago so just in comparable terms i don't think it's a big surprise that inflation is is uh, is coming down it's also what the central bank itself itself um have have indicated so i think the key question is when we get you know to the next wave so when we'll begin to compare price level changes with where we are today then it really begins to get uh, excited because um, then we I think we'll begin to get a, a truer more true uh, you know picture of where inflation is and that that's that's interesting for me I think I'm I'm still I'm still leaning that there are some issues around wages and services inflation that could um, that could spook the market down the road but for now the narrative is that inflation is coming down we're getting close to the target uh, maybe too early for a victory lap but um here we are but at least to, just to, I know that uh, we often talk about this hard landing or soft landing, and I should say it's not time for a victory lap yet, but but there are more and more things that point towards uh, uh, the possibility of a soft landing. Isn't that right? Yeah. I mean, the the, uh, the economic data is generally holding up. Um, Europe is not pretty, but at least it's not getting worse. Um, you could argue the same you could argue the same for for China, um, although it's a little bit more difficult to analyze because the their data collecting and the available uh, time series have shrunk um, a lot during Xi Jinping's uh, period as a leader of, of China. So it's a little bit more difficult to. But if you look at if you take the U.S. as a good um, inbound proxy for the rest of the the world, um, yeah, it, it looks like the soft landing scenario at least is. Um, I would say is the one that has the highest probability right now. If we just uh, stay a little bit on uh, on last week and what happened there, we had some 
while this while this week we're in right now is the biggest week in terms of earnings for this season, we also had some pretty standout earnings last week with uh, Tesla, uh, Netflix, ASML, and uh, LVMH. Uh, what was this, the the general vibe uh, that came? Out? What was sort of the conclusion of last week's earnings? Well, I think the overall headline, um, if we start with Netflix, was that you know Netflix has probably won the streaming war. Um, that's sort of the headline I would I would put on that. Um, they're doing very well. They're firing on all cylinders. The advertising business. They're getting more subscribers after they cracked down on sh- on password sharing. Um, they're getting their mojo back on content. It looks pretty uh, looks pretty well for uh, for Netflix. So the market was very excited and. Um, yeah, there's a great momentum there in the business. ASML was basically the story that, you know, 2024 is a transition year for them on the equipment side, um, but 2025 is going to be a massive year um, as this generative AI will create a lot of demand for uh, two and three nanometer um, AI chips, which you need extreme ultraviolet lithography machines to do. And ASML, a- a- ASML has... Um, 100% market share in, in, in that in that business. So um, the market like that. Um, so great, great, uh, great vibes there coming from the semiconductor industry. And then L, um, LVMH, the luxury giant, the largest luxury conglomerate in the world, French-based, of course, um, was, uh, was surprising to the upside. It was very interesting that they actually hit the organic revenue growth rates, but the, but this, but the stock went up a lot higher indicating that the market was actually more negative than, than analyst estimates uh, were suggesting. And I think the very positive surprise that came in the numbers, everyone knew that China would be weak. Uh, the Chinese market was weak for um, for LVMH, but it was the US market that actually had a significant beat on their organic growth rate, which I, th- I think was seen as sort of a, an indicator that things are potentially improving. And then the fourth major earnings release we had last week that moved market around uh, was Tesla. And Tesla was in um, was in this position where, as I also indicated in my preview, that Elon Musk was was really, it was really going to be a, a show or a talk about growth. Because when you have margin pressure, you need to uh, make up for that by indicating that there are more revenue growth coming. And that is exactly what he tried, but he didn't convince the market. He was painting this picture that they were between two growth ways, or as I pointed it in my in my review of their earnings release, between two mountaintops. And um, I think the market is getting nervous about the Chinese competition and whether Tesla can actually reach the long-term market share in the global car market as the current share price is actually indicating. So is it fair to say that uh, with these four big uh, reports last week, it's sort of a, a, a lukewarm uh, feeling leading up to, to this week with two positives being uh, uh, Netflix and LVMH and, and two, you could say, lesser positives with Tesla and uh, ASML. Is that is that the right way to, to conclude it or is that too, being too, too critical? Mm, I think it's, um, I think that if you look at the, if you look at the, if you look at the five most important earnings this week, it's going to be Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, and Meta. Um, four of those are extremely driven by consumer sentiment and how the consumer is you know, feeling. Because Alphabet and Meta is around online advertising. Online advertising is a forward-looking indicator and a 
parameter on how companies are gauging uh, future demand for products and services. Um, and those two companies have seen, you know, three straight quarters of increasing revenue growth rates. A lot of good momentum there for those two businesses. I think Amazon and Apple on their consumer side of things will also indicate some of those things we got from from Netflix and, and LVMH that things are not that bad. We have to remember that Tesla is a very large, it, it's the, besides buying a house, buying a car is the is the most expensive consumer good you will ever buy as a human so or a, a household. So it's um it's more sensitive to to interest rates. And I think um and then you have and and then you have Apple, which sort of expensive and has been has seen a little bit of interest rate sensitivity but um yeah so i i actually i f- i have a pretty good feeling going into this uh, this earnings uh, this earnings week i must say so let's uh, let let let's stick with the earnings uh, as you say in 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 the us we have microsoft alphabet apple amazon and meta coming out the two first i mentioned there coming out tuesday and the three latter on thursday we will also use this week's thematic podcast to uh, zero in on what has happened with these earnings. Are there any other earnings you think uh, are interesting for the coming week? Obviously, we have also some very big companies in the energy field, but we also have some of some of the biggest European companies uh, within earnings. Yeah, so if we start from the start from the hind so to speak we can we can you know some of the two european earnings that we are flagging in today's uh earnings preview which um um which i wrote was um you know novo nordisk and ing ing is a big banking group out of the uh, out of the netherlands uh, which is their largest market there um, mostly interesting for for local people there novo nordisk has sort of become a more a bigger i think global household name i think uh, because of the leading market position they have in obesity drugs, these new GLP-1 uh, drugs. Um, I think Novo Nordisk has um, has a much bigger and global appeal. And that's also the story. So yes, we have these five large US technology companies reporting next week. But if we look outside that, we have a, a bunch of very important healthcare companies. So we have earnings from Sanofi, uh, Novo Nordisk, Novartis, Roche. Um, so a lot of important earnings there for uh, for Europe because while t- U.S. technology stocks are super important for sentiment in the U.S., it's the healthcare sector here in, in Europe that sets the tone and, and uh, the sentiment in European equity markets. And so we'll be watching that very closely. And if you take a company like Novo Nordisk, I mean, the, it has been one of those great, great growth um, adventures or journeys, you can say, over the past two years, and you know, expectations are pretty high. I mean, thirty-one percent uh, revenue growth rate. Um, the growth rate on the obesity care segment, which is the fastest growing, was almost two hundred percent in the previous quarter. So there is just a, there's just a, an endless demand, and the key focus for investors on Novo Nordisk will be: can they actually expand the supply, the production capacity fast enough to meet the um, the runaway demand for these obesity drugs? And really, when you, when you say that, uh, I know that's something you've been pounding the table for also within the U.S. sector, uh, within these technology companies, is that we shouldn't necessarily look as much about their actual earnings. It's more about their outlook for the future. Uh, obviously, their earnings growth are, is important too, but, but, but sort of, I don't know, one of your pet peeves is that, that the outlook for the future is really important for this uh, earnings season. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is. And it, it is so because of all the uncertainty that is still around the economy, the soft landing versus um, we're slipping into a recession narrative, that battle going on there. And um, and then, of course, this is the most important earnings week the entire in the entire earnings season because, you know, you have more than tr $10 trillion of market cap reporting in less than 48 hours. And, um, you know, it's those are very large companies. And a lot of the sentiment... As well is staked on 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 the uh, the hype and the demand around AI. So I expect a lot of commentaries from these five uh, companies around AI. And uh, Microsoft is probably the one with the most attention because of its very big success in the Azure business, which is their cloud productivity suite um, and what they call AI workloads. That is really what is going to be uh, you know focused on because the analysts consensus uh, growth rate on in the Azure business is 27% in what's called constant revenue. So that's where you bake out the changes in currencies to get the underlying demand when you strip out effects from currencies. And um, the whisper number, so to speak, is actually that that number will, will be, that they will actually deliver Azure revenue growth that is higher than the 27% expected. And that the positive surprise will be delivered by these AI workloads, which are these new, type of services that they that Microsoft is selling to their enterprise customers. And that will have a very interesting link into the Alphabet earnings as well because Google is playing catch-up with Microsoft in general. Before Even before generative AI, Google was sort of seen as um, as playing catch-up on, on cloud, especially around all the applications that you sell on it because you have to think about it. You have, you have Amazon with their Amazon Web Services, but that's more like it's a giant infrastructure cloud infrastructure company or business. Microsoft and Google, they also run that part of the business, but on, but they do a lot of, they have a lot of applications or application services on top of that, which are basically off the shelf. So if, let's say you are starting an e-commerce business and you wanted a, a recommendation engine. So, oh, people bought this one and these people over here are very much like you. So you should consider that they also were looking at these items. Could you be interested in that? Those sort of things, which are basically machine learning applications, they are selling. And Google has just been doing relatively worse than Microsoft. So, and that was also this key story in the um, in the Q3 earnings season. So very curious to see whether Microsoft is sort of building on that relative strength over, over Google. And we will, uh, at least for some of it, we'll be much wiser when we talk later in the week about earnings. So I think uh, unless you have anything you feel like we should add here, let's leave earnings aside for a bit. Uh, I have uh, two other topics I'd like to touch on before we conclude on sure. today's podcast. Um, one, one of the things is, kind of, I don't know if curious is the right word because that may be neglecting it a little bit. But we got news out of China that this massive infrastructure or house building company Evergrande or Evergrande, uh, which uh, was also very much in the news, uh, I think it was a year or a year and a half ago, uh, because they had they're facing a hard time paying their bills uh, now has been ordered to go into liquidation uh, is there is there anything to say about that yet because the news broke uh, not that long ago we're recording this Monday afternoon I should say that's a good question I mean I don't know whether that will stop the bleeding in the Chinese real estate sector um, I don't think bankruptcies are carried out so to speak in the same way in china as we do it in the in our part of the world um i don't think that the chinese authorities will be 
very, um, I would think they will be very cynical. I think there will be very little left for uh, for shareholders or anything. And I think it's too early to say. I think in many ways, foreign investors have already been scared off. And depending on how China conducts this bankruptcy of Evergrande, they have a lot of uh, of debt, not, not necessarily only owned by uh, mainland Chinese um, investors. Depending on how this is how this unfolds, it could impact sentiment on on Chinese investment assets even further. Keep in mind that you know we've been used to having um, uninterrupted investments flows inflows into China and growth for four decades. And last year was actually the first year where there was negative foreign direct investments, so basically uh, people pulling money out of China. Um, and there are still cracks, and you know. China fundamentally is an economy that is living through what is called a balance sheet recession. And that is that a little bit like what Japan experienced in the late 1980s and we experienced in, in 2008, that you have a credit boom and it can take you as as far, but at one point you will hit a roadblock. And then you will basically have saturated uh, this, uh, this credit wave and there's a lot of debt on the balance sheet. And if a lot of the credit boom, um, a lot of the you know, credit that was created was created or invested into non-productive assets, then you have a problem because then you have saturated your balance sheets with a lot of debt with very little productive assets to pay back that debt. And if that's the case, then you cannot crawl yourself out of that hole very easily. So one of the things that you probably can do is then you need to take haircuts. If you take haircuts, that's a, a, a pretty... Um, tough on on investors so those are some of the things i mean and the lessons from japan and our lessons is that it's very difficult and when you hit that balance sheet recession dynamics just very difficult to get growth uh, coming back and it might be even more difficult for china because they don't really um don't really have an open economy um so um i'm, I'm i think i think the i think the the financial risks and the cracks in the chinese economy will continue to linger and be a story um, I don't think there are any easy solutions for China to mitigate the economic issues they have. Definitely something that we're going to pay attention to uh, uh, in both the near and probably also the longer future because it is important for uh, markets all over the globe. Another thing that we should really touch upon before we uh, say goodbye, Peter, is the macro calendar because at least we have an FOMC meeting, so a meeting for the Federal Reserve in the U.S. on Wednesday. What's your expectations uh, for that meeting? Well, the well, the expectation is that they don't do anything, right? The market is currently pricing um, pricing the Fed for potential red cut in March. Um, right now, going into this FOMC meeting, um, the probability is around 50-50 for a rate cut in March. So there will be obviously a lot of interpretation of uh, this statement from the uh, from the FOMC, the Fed, and also in the subsequent uh, press conference with uh, Jerome Powell. Um, so that's going to be super interesting, but obviously they're not going to do anything on it. So the, the key focus will be you know, their talk around, you know, quantitative tightening, so this reduction in balance sheets, which is subtracting uh, liquidity from the from the fixed income market. They have indicated that that will end. We'll probably get more color on that. And then also, what is the outlook? Is it unchanged? Three interest rate cuts, is that where we are? What do they see in the economy? What's their interpretation of inflation? Because, you know, you can argue, I mean, you have full employment. 
doesn't seem like the economy is slipping into a recession right now, at least, um, or in the short term. You have financial conditions that are pretty loose, actually, with a Fed at the current policy rate. What is exactly the great arguments for cutting interest rates aggressively if we're not slipping into a recession? Is it mitigating potential refinancing waves um, to shield the corporate sectors trying to be a little bit ahead of the curve? Is that the question? I mean, I'm just curious to to hear more uh, more details on that. And then there are actually two other central bank meetings um, as well. There's Bank of England and then there's the, the Riks Bank in, in Sweden, um, especially Sweden and both both Bank of England the Riksbank, and then last week we had commentaries from Neusbank, which is the central bank in Norway. And those three countries are one of the uh, uh, are the group of part of the group of countries that is experiencing a little bit more inflation than uh, in some of the other countries in the um, in the eurozone, including Denmark, where we are, son, where things seem to be pretty much under control already by now. So um, curious to see what there was those two central banks how because they are in a little bit different position, right? They can probably not cut rates as aggressively, potentially as ECB and the and the Fed, because they're just running at much more, much higher inflation rates. And um, if you cut rates too aggressively with the current inflation rate, it weakens your currency. It imports more inflation, so that can make the the, the problems get worse. But that's also what's interesting in uh, in currency markets these days. You you really you're getting real differentials, as it's said, between policy rates, and that's really an important thing for. Uh, for FX dynamics. It's super interesting to see if some of these uh, borderline European or some of the European countries, whether they actually have to consider hiking rates uh, instead of slashing them or, or how this is going to play out, but only only time will tell. Peter, that was, uh, that was everything I had on my sheet of paper for today. Uh, is there anything you feel like we missed out on? Or otherwise, I think we should uh, close this off and then... Uh, Prepare for a very interesting episode, I'm sure, on on Thursday when we talk earnings. And we know much more about how the tech sector, especially in the U.S., has performed. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that episode. Very curious on those earnings. So that is the big topics <laughs> for, for this week, right? I mean, it's the, the big uh, the big technology earnings from, uh, from Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Apple, and Meta. What's the Chinese... The Chinese temperature now with Evergrande in bankruptcy, and then those central bank meetings from the FM, from from the Fed, Bank of England, and Riksbank. There's a lot to chew on this week, and uh, Sun and I will be back later this week with another episode. Thank you for listening out there. It's a great pleasure. <laughs>